Okay, well, welcome everybody to our first IR Insights webinar for 2024. And uh, I'm really pleased to be joined uh, today by Lyndall West, Managing Director from Ombudpoint. How are you, Lyndall? Great, thanks, Paul. Welcome. We're talking today about um, something that I know occupies the t a lot of time for my clients, occupies a lot of time for myself, um, which is managing internal complaints between employees. Um, now, I've just come out literally 30 minutes ago, I've just come out of a, a Fair Work Commission conciliation conference where there were a lot of complaints and allegations of complaints being thrown around. So I don't know, Lyndall, if it's uh, if it's mortgage stress, interest rates, post-pandemic trauma, uh, return to the office, but there's a lot of agro employees out there and a lot of uh, complaints and disputation in the work in the workforce. Uh, workers' compensation claims are on the rise. Bullying allegations are on the rise, according to statistics. Stress and burnout has risen to record uh, rates. We're also seeing more workplace investigations into uh, allegations and disputation. So getting this right, the management of complaints internally between colleagues is really one of the most important things that our colleagues can do. So before we go through all of that, uh, Lindsay, and you're going to tell us about on the point and how that can help our clients in this space, uh, we will just go to this uh, message. <laughs> I'm Auntie Manya, and on behalf of Dentons and everyone here today, I would like to recognise the stories, traditions and living cultures of the land on which we meet. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and their continued connections to land, sea and community. And we pay our respects to Elders past and present. Nangamanladi. Okay, so great to have you here with us uh, today, Lyndall. Um, Lyndall, you're a, a leading expert uh, in, in this field of con conflict management. Do you want to tell us a little bit um, about your background? Yeah, thanks very much, Paul, and um, welcome to everybody today. Um, look, my background is, is very much as a um, HR practitioner or people and culture as it's now morphed to. I think uh, we used to call it uh, HR 25 years ago when I started doing this. Um, I've held a, a, a range of roles, I guess, um, over that time. Started my life as an accountant and then moved into remuneration, which was the not logical next step. Um, and then finally, I ended up in a, a global CHRO role, um, looking after a business that had sort of uh, was in 11 different countries. So I've had this sort of complexity of um, multi jurisdictions and so forth. But I guess what I've observed over that time and over that career has been that. Often you end up with situations where if two people had had a sensible conversation six months ago, you wouldn't have the sort of issues that you're dealing with at that time. And that was really part of the catalyst for, for On Point and bringing an ombuds model to Australia. Fantastic. Yeah, great background. And um, I think when we discussed um, this sort of concept originally, I was really interested to understand how you know how, how complaints develop in the workplace how they escalate um, and how internally within our clients own businesses um, the emotion and the anger can be taken out 
Um, now, we obviously, as an employment lawyer, I see disputes and complaints that can't be resolved, and we see the worst kinds of disputes that, that end up often in litigation. Um, but understandably, uh, employers want to resolve that. So I was really curious to hear about um, your business and how that might be able to assist. Now, we do have a Q&A um, uh, box, of course, as you would know, and feel free to lodge your questions as we go through the presentation and we'll probably answer them at the end. Uh, we've got over 200 people um, listening today, so no doubt there will be a range of different questions. If we can't answer them all, we will um, most likely write to you all individually after the webinar. Should say as well, the webinar is uh, is recorded, so you'll be sent a, a copy and uh, it's also available on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Um, so we'll cover what is an ombuds and how are they used? What are the main conflict trends uh, you're seeing, Lindell? Uh, how does the service work? And um, how can the service be used in um, various different ways to benefit um, HR departments? So going to the first question, Lindell, and I've sort of not really heard of the term ombudsman, you know, we're all familiar with the Fair Work Ombudsman, um, but what is an ombuds and uh, how are they used? Yeah, thanks, Paul. And I think that's a, a really good starting point because the term ombudsman generally means sort of an, an umpire, somebody that you go to to actually, you know, come up with an answer or, or and so forth. What an ombuds is, is quite different. It's really a confidential sounding board to provide you practical solutions to solve a problem. And so where we talk about disputes, our whole business model is around getting in and solving stuff before it actually escal escalates. Um, as I said um, in the opening, you know, um, we've all been in situations where we've uh, we've seen two people sort of warring six months after a bit of a dispute happened. And it generally starts as a bit of a niggle, um, you know, it, whether it's, you know, I don't like the fact that that person got put on the project and I missed out on that opportunity. It might be um, potential bullying um, from managers and so forth. It can be a whole range of different things. And so where we come from is very much that providing people with a safe place um, to explore the issues and really understand what they want to achieve out of those situations and then really giving them some practical solutions around that. Um, I'd love to say that I came up with the concept, but I didn't. There's an, actually an international ombuds association um, and that's really their model as well. And, and um, these services are used uh, very much in the US, um, Canada, the, Europe. And um, what they've found over time is that these services can really reduce the number of formal complaints because if you can actually get in and give people a different perspective, you can give people different angles and you can give them practical skills, um, it, you can often resolve these issues before they get to get to your desk, Paul. Yeah, well, of course, I love resolving people's disputes, but um, uh, often, often I see a lot of these matters that even become litigious and... Um, they're not necessarily the most legally complex matters. You just look at them and you think, you know, how did it get from an initial complaint, you know, to a, a line manager all the way to federal court litigation? And um, certainly, you know, our clients will know that the general protections uh, jurisdiction and the complaints and inquiries element of, of that framework is one of the most common sort of legal claims that we see in the Fair Work Commission and the federal court now. 
complaints and inquiries um, to find very broadly uh, form the basis of a lot of the litigious matters that, that, that we see. So really keen to explore that. Um, interested in some of the main trends that you're seeing in workplaces. Um, what can you tell us about uh, the insights you're seeing there? Yeah, look, first and foremost, it's interpersonal conflict. And as I say, that can be simple things like, you know, I haven't been um, uh, looked at for promotion. It can be, you know, I don't like the people that I'm working with on a project and somebody's undermining me. Um, it can be a whole range of really small things, but but it, but it impacts individuals and it impacts their not only their work performance, but also their mental health and so forth. So, um, again, you know, when I sort of think back to sort of research, um, you know, Black Dog Institute did something back in 2021 and it showed that the key indicators of mental um, health issues in the, in the workplace were things like workplace conflict, bullying and harassment, um, and, and they're the things that we see see the most of throughout uh, the clients that we work with and, and the issues that people bring to us. We also see that the majority of our calls are coming from um, individuals, you know, team members, if you like. So about 70% of the calls are coming from team members and about 30% coming from managers. And I think that's been also um, reflective of the shift that we've seen in um, people and culture departments because you know, again, I've, I've done it to my teams and I've, I've seen it and been part of teams that have done this, which is you need to be more strategic, you need to look at the trends, you need to look at the opportunities for systemic change. And I think sometimes employees say, well, where do I go to get support? And, you know, I understand that there's, you know, unionised workforces, for instance, but in organisations where the per where it's not that unionised or people just aren't, aren't members of the union, sometimes they just need that sounding board. And, and as I say, we're, we're not advocating for the employer and we're not advocating for the employee. We're really that neutral party. And I think that's where we can be different to a union and it's also where we're, we're different to internal um, uh, departments. Um, we also see that um, lots of managers, actually, the managers who do call us, many of those are new managers. And they're sort of struggling with, okay, I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing or, you know, um, I, I, I've, I've gotten some advice um, internally but I just want to check this with somebody else um, or I'm just, I just don't have the confidence to start that conversation because I haven't had that conversation before. And so it's sort of that one-on-one -on -one coaching that we provide to really give people, I like to say, the skills and the confidence to be able to actually address the issue that they're faced with. And you know, we all know that um, just leaving things and hoping it's going to get better is not really a strategy for resolving conflict. No, no, I've, I've certainly heard that as an option before. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't, we just won't do anything and we'll just see how it pans out. That rarely, if ever, results in a successful outcome. Um, I also wonder, I mean, we certainly see, we're seeing a lot more bullying complaints um, from our clients or you know, certainly that term is being used, whether it meets the test or not, of course, is another question. But um, I think some of these, this, this terminology is now obviously very well known. And so employees, um, really anything that someone doesn't like can sometimes fall within the, the definition of bullying. So is reframing, helping the employee understand what some of these definitions might mean part of the, the service as well? is but it's even more so than that 
coming back to what is it that you want to achieve out of the situation? Like what's what what's the outcome you're, you're looking for here? We, and the advisors spend a lot of time with people really thinking about that because often people sort of have a situation at hand and they sort of go, blah, here's, here's what I'm dealing with. And when you ask that simple question, which is, well, in an ideal world, what would you, what would you want to have happen? Often they're not able to articulate what that is. And I think being able to bring it back to what is it that you want to have happen? How would you want this resolved? What would it look like in an ideal world? is a really good way of reframing the way the person's actually thinking about the problem because it then allows you to say, well, if that's what you want to achieve, how can we perhaps get there? I think to your point, Paul, there's, you know, things like psychosocial risks we're also hearing a lot more of now. So there's a lot of these buzzwords which, you know, people have kind of put their own definition on. And rather than getting fixed on the definition, I guess what we try and do is pull it back to, in a practical sense, what do you want to have happen? Mm. I do. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a behavioural scientist, of course. I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer. But I do wonder if working from home can sometimes um, add to the the confusion somebody has about their perceived treatment where a lot of uh, the conduct is perhaps text messages or chat messages and it's not necessarily face-to-face. -face. I mean, as great as remote working and electronic devices is, it can really take the human element out of um, communications and um, they can be misconceived. I don't know if that's something that you've seen as well, but uh, or, or if that's just me making up my own sort of uh, <laughs> discipline. Yeah. No, no, we, we do see that. It's almost a catastrophization of, of putting together various events. And and again, that's one of the things that the, the advisors really sort of focus on is, okay, so you didn't get included on that Zoom meeting and then Mary, who's been in the office, she got put on, you know, the, the piece of work or the client work that you wanted. Suddenly you've taken those two data points and you've turned them into my manager's discriminating against me or my manager doesn't like me or my manager's trying to get me out of the organisation. And again, what we try and do is work with the individual to say, okay, well, that, that might be an outcome, but an alternate perspective on that might be that they didn't know you wanted to um, be involved in that client activity or... They didn't, you know, it was actually just a, an error when you got missed off the Zoom call. And so, again, giving people the skills and the confidence to go in and actually start a conversation with their manager to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a bit excluded. You know, there might be um, different ways that different people are comfortable sort of starting that conversation. And that's what we really workshop with, with employees because they need to be able at the end of the call to go and do something practical with it because we don't go in and escalate issues with the organisation. We really are about upskilling individuals to do it themselves. And so by doing that, we can get them back into the into the workplace, engaging with their manager. And yeah, in many cases, it is a sort of, you know, catastrophization of a number of different data points, which which may or not, may not be um, uh, real um, in terms of what the manager's trying to achieve. Yeah, and of course, we're not saying that um, HR professionals don't have the capability to do all of this themselves, but many clients uh, have many employees and um, possibly HR expertise is thinly uh, spread throughout the organisation. And so there's only so much the HR team can do uh, in this space. So for those companies that are thinking, I really like the, the sound of this, this service, how does it how does it actually work? Because it sounds like it's a, it's a telephone service. 
Yeah. So look, we deliver the service in exactly the same way we're do- delivering it today via um, Teams or Zoom. Um, the way that we operate is that we, when we set up a client arrangement, we actually get to know the client really well because to me, it's all about context. So um, as a HR professional, you know, we all do performance management. We all do, you know, sort of, um, you know, learning and development. But it's the context that we do it in that's really important. So one of the things that we do is work with um, clients to understand their policy settings, their frameworks, but also, you know, their values and where they're trying to uh, get to as an organisation because that context is really important for when we're talking to their to their employees. So once we've done that, we actually set up a QR code for the organisation and that's how employees access the service. And as I said, we, we set up the, the meetings in this manner. People just go in, choose an appointment time, um, and then they'll get an advisor. We have um, First Nations advisors, for instance, who can um, support people from that background, as well as other different um, diversity um, pieces as well. As I said, the, the conversation very much is often the person getting it off their chest, and that can be cathartic in itself. And I'm sure there's plenty of people on this, uh, this call who uh, have had the, uh, the employee come up to them and say, have you got five minutes? And an hour later, you um, walk away from that discussion. Um, that's often about the time uh, time frame that we have for the calls, um, and they get it off their chairs. Then, as I said, we really spend the time trying to understand what they want to um, achieve, and then the rest of the call is using you know that framework of what goes on in their organisation as well as our own experience to be able to guide and um, coach the individual on how to resolve it. But very much it's about empowering them to come back into the organisation and, um, and, and and resolve it inside the organisation rather than sort of us being an escalation service. Mm. So it sounds quite proactive. So it sounds a little bit like employee assistance program, but, you know, with, with qualified advisors that can be proactive and help the person work through a problem maybe rather than just listen, just be a sounding board? Absolutely. And look, I see our services being very much complementary to EAP. Um, I think EAP has an incredible place in every organisation. Um, but what what we provide is somewhat different. I think, you know, I often use the example, which is, you know, if you're feeling anxious and you can't eat, and you can't sleep, and it's because you, you're out of it, your workload is out of control, you absolutely need to contact EAP um, to be able to deal with the anxiety and the can't eat and can't sleep. Um, but you really need someone who can work through the fundamental issue, which is how do I address the workload? And that's where we really come in to support people. And so for, I think it's about 40% of our callers, we actually refer those individuals to their EAP line as well. Um, so that's one of the things that we track for organisations so that they're also aware of that. But I think it is a two-pronged approach. It's not a it's not a singular, singular approach in the, these issues. You need to deal with, you know, the consequences of what's going on, i.e. the know anxiety or the not eating or not sleeping but but fundamentally nothing's going to change unless you address the underlying issue and that that's where we really see our role so if i'm an hr director i'm probably thinking well firstly this sounds really good and this is going to take some workload off my off my team which is really time consuming but um, maybe there's a, a sense of a loss of control over what employees are saying to essentially an external provider. How do you, um, is it confidential? So if HR say, we want to know who's calling you, what they're talking about, how does that work? And how do the advisors 
uh, understand perhaps, you know, the framework of the business or their cultural um, values and their policies so that um, is advice, I guess what I'm saying is advice sort of customised to the values of the company or is it more generic? Great question. So I think the first thing I'd say is um, what it does is takes the workload around um, those can I have five minute conversations that turn into an hour and, and take your business partners away from being strategic and, and driving business um, outcomes. What we do, though, is on a monthly basis is provide trend reporting to the organisation. And so, you know, I do see, see our role as being having a close alignment to the um, HR or people and culture departments despite it being a, a confidential service. So we will never disclose that it was Paul who called and he was really annoyed about his work from home um, arrangements. We will provide data that says we've had some calls around uh, work from home and, you know, um, any demographic information that we do have that doesn't disclose where the individual comes from. But we do take the confidentiality really seriously because it's really important as a, as a trust for, for employees and managers to be able to uh, to use that. In fact, I've, I had somebody say to us, um, we, one of our clients, um, one of the people from the, the team that I work with actually used the service and um, she actually contacted me after our check-in call and she said, I was so pleased that when I looked at the data that you provided, you couldn't tell that it was me called. And um, I think, you know, that's really important in terms of the, the confidentiality. But we also try and provide those trends and, and sort of, um, be able to give the HR directors some, some information that they can then use in their programs. And so if I give you an example, um, we've had an organisation who's had quite a lot of alleged bullying. And I say alleged because we're obviously hearing one side of the story and we're not investigating it, but the behaviour that we've described to us sounded very much in that sort of bullying category. What we found was that the majority of the people who were calling us, I think bar one, were from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Um, they'd had extensive experience outside of Australia prior to, to joining this organisation, but something about the language, something about the cultural piece was sort of, I don't know, drawing them into these situations or managers were responding in that way. And so what we were able to do was take that insight for that organisation and, and give it to the HR director who's now incorporated it into their race action plan, um, into their leadership programs, et cetera. And so for from my way of thinking, having spent most of my career, as you could see, on, on the other side of the desk, it's really about getting those trends, really about getting those sort of data points to be able to do something in a systemic way rather than kind of working through each individual issue. And look, if there's an issue that's serious that's serious enough or it's, you know, something that should be escalated, that is our that is our advice, our support to the individual to say, this is how I think you should take it forward in your organisation. This is where it would go to. This is what will happen next. And giving them clarity on that, the next steps, can actually just give them assurance that they feel confident to go back in and, and deal with the situation. So um, I think, you know, as I say, we're not an escalation service. We don't, we don't breach confidentiality under any circumstances. And so, therefore, it is very much about upskilling people to be able to deal with the issues at hand in the organisation at that time. Mm. And I guess a little bit like my work, probably your biggest successes are things that no one ever hears about and maybe the company never hears about because your advisors are able to resolve the issue directly with the employee and it doesn't go any further internally. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I remember uh, a situation that we had where an employee called and said, 
look, I've been talking to a family member and they think that I should put in a complaint and get get a get a file note on this person for doing it. It was a you know it was this individual's manager's PR and they wanted to. Um, you know, put you know what I want is a file note on that person's file, and so the advisor actually worked through with them and said, okay, well, if that's the outcome you're seeking, let's let's talk through what the process would need to look like and the likelihood of getting a file note put on that person's file. And when the advisor had kind of worked through that, and again using that organisation's policies as the the framework for discussing it, um, the individual came back and went, oh, I don't think that's what I want to do. And so then the advisor was able to come back and say, okay, well, let's start at the beginning. What are some of the more informal options that you could take? And the great part about this particular instance was the individual actually went back to their organisation and said, I called on point and this is what they they provided me the advice on. And where the employee landed was that they actually went and had a conversation with their manager and said that they'd felt uncomfortable. They weren't going to do anything about it on this occasion, but they just wanted to let their manager know. And, and, And that was enough of a resolution for them. Where, where when they'd started the call, they'd actually started with, I want a file note put on this person's file for this incident. Mm, interesting. And Lyndall, do, does the service specialise in any particular industries or is it suitable to be rolled across all industries? Because I know, as I'm listening to you, we, we have a lot of schools registered. We act for a lot of schools in Victoria, at least, um, which tend to have big workforces and complex stakeholders, but quite small HR departments. I'm thinking de- definitely suits some industries that I'm thinking of. Yeah, we work in the education sector. Um, we also have uh, emergency services. We have financial services. We've got mining services. Uh, we've got a professional services firm. Um, we work with listed organisations. We worked with small unlisted organisations. So it, it really does cut across um, a broad range of industries. Um, again, you saw from my background, I'm, I've largely been financial services. And what I've discovered through this role is that um, people are people and um, the same sorts of issues just happen in different contexts across different industries. Um, my advisors, however, have got broader industry experience than I do. Um, and you know, they're able to to draw on that experience to, you know, to provide those customised solutions using the, you know, the organisation's frameworks and policies, but then really listening to individuals and hearing what, what's going on. Um, you know, often that's some of the feedback that we get from people who've used the services. They say, it's just nice to have someone who's just listened to me. And, 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 and whilst I appreciate that, you know, all of us in people and culture functions do do that, I think it's just a different it's perceived differently and it is different when that's your only role is to sit there and listen as opposed to um, sitting there listening and thinking what's going to happen next, what mitigation, do I need to call Paul? You know, um, you know, you, you're problem solving on the run when you're listening to those issues, whereas I think the ombuds model very much sort of appreciates just being in the moment, listening to the individual and then being able to help them in an independent and impartial manner. Yeah, it's the independence, isn't it? I'm sure, uh, I mean, you know, HR professionals are are offended when an employee says, well, I'm not talking to you because you're not independent. You know, you're aligned to the CEO or whoever it might be. But um, that does sometimes prevent the resolution of complaints, this uh, perception that, um, you know, HR will always be doing the bidding of um, the senior management team which, which can be an impediment to the resolution of or early resolution of complaints. Yeah, 
And look again, where I come back to the, the um, comment I made earlier, which is, you know, sometimes employees will be looking at, you know, um, a situation and they'll realise that the HR business partner, for instance, has been talking to their manager. Now, they, they might have been talking about what they did on the weekend, but if there's something going on for the employee, they may actually think, oh, I don't know that I can go and speak to the HR business partner because actually um, they've already been talking to, to my manager about that issue. Again, it's perception as much as it is reality. So um, this just gives them somewhere independent. And I like to say that we replace, you know, the, um, the, the, the conversations at the pub on a Friday night uh, where people go and say, hey, let me tell you about what's happened to me this week, um, which I don't think are that productive generally because you're usually getting in the way of the next round. Um, this is really somewhere that's got the policy framework, got the experience and is completely independent to the situation. And I guess no no, no agenda, which is... Um... Yes. You've got to be careful who you complain to, I think, sometimes in, in the workplace. As many people have a multitude of different um, agendas, humans being being humans. Um, not not asking you to give away, you know, trade secrets, but what, what can you tell us about um, the, the insights around what works and what doesn't work in terms of resolving workplace complaints and disputes? Yeah. Look, I think the first thing that um, we're very conscious of is when we're talking to an employee, be them an employer or a manager, we're hearing one side of the story. And I've no doubt that every single person on this call is thinking, sometimes I've heard one side of the story and it sounded terrible. And then when I heard the other side, it wasn't so bad after all. So we are really cognizant of that. Um, we also ask a lot of probing questions. Um, you know, often you'll, you know, you'll have a situation where somebody will sort of give you half the story and then 10 minutes before the end of the call, they say, oh, and then I've also got this letter. Um, and then they sort of show you the letter and it's a, you know, show cause letter or it's a, you know, performance management final warning. And you're like, oh, okay, let's just, you know, bring that back a bit. So I think it's really important to recognise it is one side of the story. And so our advisors never talk in absolute. They're never sort of saying, well, this is right, this is wrong, this is how the process should be or the, and, and your employer's got it wrong. We always do it in terms of giving them tools to ask further questions. And as we all know, by asking questions, you can actually elicit a lot more information. You can actually have much more productive conversations. So I think that's one thing that uh, the advisors do really, really well and really helps um, individuals. I think the other thing that we're able to do is often pick up on language. Um, and again, seems really subtle, um, but for any of you who have uh, been coaches or do coaching, it can be one of those impediments to stopping a conversation. So again, I sort of recall a situation where it was in the education um, uh, sector, Paul, so um, this will probably resonate for you, but um, the individual was saying, so I told her she was wrong, and then I went on to say blah, blah, and blah. And the advisor was able to say, can we just take that back a step? When somebody tells you you're wrong, how do you react to that? Um, because, you know, this individual was concerned about the reaction they were getting from the, the person. And so, again, being able to sort of flip things around, get people to take a different perspective on it can be really, really important. Um, and, and just giving them just giving them an alternate way to, to think about it. Um, you know, the other thing that we, we often can do is provide different solutions that they haven't thought about. So, 
you know, I again recall a, uh, one of our cases where the employee um, had been overlooked for a promotion and somebody else had been appointed. And this employee wanted the person who'd been appointed to be I think, unappointed. I don't know that that's a term, but wanted them to be unappointed and that this person to be, be appointed instead. And again, the consultant was able to sort of talk to them just around is that really a viable outcome? And what would the environment be like? Even if, even if that could happen, what would the environment be like when the manager has not actually chosen you for that role? And so, again, being able to get people to think about things more broadly um, is really, really important. And I think one of the things that we do really well. Yeah, look, one of the personality types that comes up, it, certainly in a litigation perspective, what the employee personality type is the sort of person who and my team that are listening to this will be laughing knowing you know all the people I'm talking about um, but the the personality type that just it, 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 everyone else is the problem not them they the perfect employee everyone else is to blame for everything that's happened to them these are the people that will accept nothing other than sort of unequivocal vindication these are the people that we can't, you know, mediations don't work, investigations don't work. These are the people that end up suing their employers and not giving up and they don't, won't even accept money. These are really, really difficult personalities and sometimes there's a mental health issue there. Um, do, do you come up against those sorts of individuals and um, do you feel the service can work? with somebody like that, or are they likely to simply complain about your service or or simply listen, but um, not engage? Look, we do come across that, and I'm not going to sit here and suggest that we're miracle workers. So um, to, to your point, Paul, um, there, there are certain people who are like that. I think what we try and do in, in the main is really get them to focus on what is it that they can control? So again, you know, you've probably got people that have popped into your head. I've got people that are just popping into my head. And it's really about, you know, because it's it's often, you know, this person doesn't do the, do the work well and this person's off gossiping and that person's doing this. And there's kind of this, you know, I know everything that everybody else is doing wrong. And we try and just bring it back to, yes, but what can you control? And if you've raised, you know, your concern about that person not picking up the workload with your manager, Perhaps you need to trust that the manager's actually doing something with that. And it might not be what you want them to do, but it's something that they, they, they might be doing something. And, you know, in the reverse, if some, if your manager was having a conversation with you about your workload or, you know, your, your approach, you wouldn't want that sort of sprayed around the office. So there is a bit of giving, you know, again, providing that perspective and providing that sort of counter view. And, again, I know that um, when I've been in um, people and culture roles, Sometimes that's hard to do because you don't want to sound defensive. You don't want to sound like, you know, you're not addressing their concern. Whereas as an independent, we're able to say some of those things without, you know, fear or favour. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on to um, the capability question. How does the service help build organisational um, capability for its for its users? Yeah. Look, I, I've touched on this a bit today, so I won't sort of labour the point. But as I said, it's really about building skills and confidence to address these issues. So, 
you know, um, again, if I sort of think back to, you know, there was there was one caller that we had who started with a, a discussion about how they were being discriminated against by their manager. And um, as the advisor sort of unpacked the, the conversation, um, they reached that conclusion because they had a particular um, area of expertise and they hadn't been asked to participate on a current project that required that expertise. And so as the advisor sort of started to, to unpack it, um, you know, it wasn't clear that the manager even was aware of this expertise. Um, and as I said, the person had just sort of gotten to the point where they, they thought they were being discriminated on because they hadn't been asked. So then the advisor sort of worked with them to say, okay, so do you feel comfortable during the, I don't know, the team's meeting to, to put up your hand and say, hey, I've, I've had some experience doing that particular thing. And the individual was like, no, no, I wouldn't feel comfortable in that environment doing it. So the advisor then said, well, do you think you'd feel comfortable actually dropping the manager a note during the conversation so it's fresh to say, look, I've got some experience there. Can I talk to you about that afterwards? And the individual was like, yeah, that, that would work for me. And so, as I say, this is just a good example of um, getting people to do things differently um, to actually, uh, you know, get an outcome that they're looking for. So... Um, you know, I do like to say to people, we don't sell brain surgery. Um, most of what works in this space is quite simple solutions, but often people are so engrossed in the emotion of it all that it's really hard for them to sort of step back and be able to say, how do I actually address this? So um, that that's just a simple example, I guess, of um, of doing it. As, as I've said a few times, we don't, we don't, uh, raise these issues, we're not an escalation point to the organisation. We obviously provide the trends and we're, we're very much about helping the organisation to understand any systemic issues. But what we want to do is really build those skills so that people can solve for that particular issue and when something else happens down the track, as it will, they've actually got a, a skill set to be able to think about it again. Or they can come back for another visit, but you know it is very much about getting them to 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 learn to think differently as well. Mm, interesting. Um, okay, moving on. Oh, I think my slide's stuck there. Oh, here it is. Um, so, given so interested in the one side of the story type situation. Um, you're only hearing one side of the story. So how do you feel that influences the advice the advisors are able to give? Yeah, I think coming back to the point, which is, you know, it's not absolute. We know that there's always going to be two sides to the story and there's probably pieces of information that the employee's not telling us or the manager's not telling us for that matter as we go, as we go through the situation. And look, we have had situations where we've actually had multiple callers from the same team uh, call us. Um, and again, what we do is we separate the um, the the people who are the advisors who are who are providing that support, so that it is very much independent and it is very much impartial for the individual who's calling. As I said, what we often do is give them a selection of different things that they could try to try and resolve the issue, rather than being sort of you know this is the way that it should happen or you know that's terrible. We would ne we never do anything in terms of absolutes with the the individual. Um, you know often we'll get things. Um, there's one particular organisation that we support who have actually embedded us into their 
investigation, formal investigation and, and performance management process. So when they put out a letter of allegations, they will actually say, you know, you can call EAP for, for um, psychological support, which, you know, probably everybody on this call does. Um, but they also say if you need support around the process, um, on point is available for you. Now, clearly, we don't go in there and say, okay, well, this is how you manage this particular investigation. But what you find is that for a lot of these people, it's the first time that they've been through an investigation. Secondly, they, they don't know what the process looks like. And so um, we do come across people who are like, I haven't heard from my employer for three weeks and it's completely unacceptable and I've drafted this note. And, and you know, it's a barrage, right? And, mm -hmm. and again, the advisor often will say, you know, okay, so what, what are you trying to achieve with that note? What, what, what do you want to get out of that? And it might be, well, I need an answer. Okay, so do you reckon that note is going to get you an answer and what sort of answer is it going to get you? So, you know, you're already, you know, facing bullying allegations and you've just done a, a note that's got that same tone to it with the, with the organisation. So, again, providing that coaching, sounding board, still getting to the outcome, you, yeah, if you haven't heard for, for three weeks, you might want to, want to follow up and you want to might want to know where things are at but you want to do it in a way that's actually going to progress your cause rather than actually um, set it back so that's where the advisors really really help to support people um, and, and often they can also provide a difference of use so again when you're in an organization if you're handling an investigation you're often sitting there thinking well I can't tell the person that we can't progress the the um, investigation because the other person's off sick or, you know, it'll it'll give away sort of, you know, who it is and, you know, there's a whole lot of machinations that go into that. As an independent, we don't know that. We don't know whether it's been held up for three weeks because of the, um, the other person being sick or, you know, somebody not being available or whatever it might be. But we can offer those as potential reasons why um, an investigation might be taking three weeks and, you know, that the individual doesn't shouldn't necessarily infer that it taking three weeks is necessarily a negative. And so, again, being independent to it doesn't compromise us like I've certainly found in the past where I've had small HR teams, you know, kind of trying to be the support person as well as the um, the investigator. Mm, yeah, that, that sounds really helpful. So... Uh, got to ask the question: Should should HR departments be worried that um, the service will take their jobs? <laughs> look, if, look, if you think your job is to be the agony aunt in the office and listen to every um, conversation that goes on, yeah, probably. Um, if you see your job, however, as being able to take those trends and the opportunities that that data provides you and then address systemic issues. I, look, one organisation that we deal with, um, I think it's about 30% of their calls, is all about employee relations issues. And when we dug into that, it was all about their, their leave and rostering um, approach. And so what we were able to do was give them some examples of, um, of situations that were causing distress and causing people to be anxious. Um, and they've now used that as, a catalyst for some of their negotiation of their EBA um, because, you know, it's something that's actually causing angst in the organisation. It's causing conflict between managers and employees because employees ask for a particular leave or roster and they're not getting it and managers are saying, well, talk to the system, that's all I can do. And it's really been a catalyst to, to provide them that trend 
um, and information to be able to deal with something that, you know, can actually affect the whole workplace rather than being sucked into, you know, the hours of calls just around, you know, the concerns on rostering and, and leave. Yeah, it's a great barometer, isn't it, in terms of um, what are the key issues impacting on, on, on the workforce? So if those trends, uh, the trend reports you were referring to are, are provided, that could be really helpful information. Yeah. I mean, again, another organisation, we've actually instituted a follow-up process six months after people have been through a, a, an investigation. So, you know, we're always worried about wrapping our arms around people during the investigation process. But what about six months later when, you know, we go back to normal and, and, and you're not doing that monitoring? So we're also providing now a bit more of a proactive service to some clients around uh, following up with people, seeing how things are going and being able to provide that again back in an anonymised way so that people feel very safe to be able to speak up and say, well, you know, things have deteriorated or things have gotten better, et cetera, et cetera. And again, we can then step in and help them with the skills to, to address whatever's going on or, ra or raise those issues internally if they, if they feel they want to. Mm, perfect. So what are the skills, um, just briefly, that the advisors have to, to carry out this function? Yeah. Um, I often joke and say, look, this is not a job for graduates. It's, a, you know, you've got to have a bit of grey hair and a few lines. Um, and, um, and and that would definitely be uh, the profile of um, many of our advisors having um, quite a lot of experience. As I said before, you know, we're very keen to make sure that we've got people from different industries, um, different backgrounds. I think I touched on earlier that we've got a First Nations advisor. Um, and so, they're people who've got, you know, extensive experience in people and culture, but what I really look for is that sort of commercial acumen and that problem-solving skill. Um, a number of our advisors have got uh, coaching qualifications and uh, and the like, and so um, it is really a diverse group of people, which is good, um, and um, that really helps us to work with a, a, a broad cross-section of industries. Great. Now, uh, probably third last question, what are the data points that you use to test that the service is uh, effective and, and valuable? Yeah. So look, as I mentioned, we do we do, do the proactive follow-up um, for some organisations. So that's um, that's one, one way we do it. But for every client, we send out a survey one week after the event because it's not so much about you know, we always laugh in training and development, don't we, where you sort of, you know, ask people at the end of the training course, you know, did you like it? And everyone's like, yeah, it was great. That's sort of not the point. The point is, was it great and did you use the advice? And so that's why we do a follow-up um, a, a week after the, the call because we really want to be a prompt as well. We want to be a bit of a the conscience for people to say, you know, I said I was going to have that conversation and have I? And then we do a survey um, of people one month and three months afterwards. Now, I, I'd be interested in anybody's views on this, but I what I do find is that um, it's a bit like when I buy a washing machine. If the washing machine works, um, I don't bother filling out the uh, survey for the, the person who I, um, I bought it from. So our data points are a bit scant on that, which is why we've um, now with a number of clients started to proactively call people and actually ask for specific feedback. And, and that's been really valuable as well in terms of, you know, getting feedback where if there's particular documents, for instance, that we can share with people afterwards as a framework, you know, and it's their documents, not our documents, but, you know, if it's a, I don't know, a, a description of behaviours, perhaps that helps them to, to um, confront the conversation. So, We've started incorporating some of that feedback into our service offering as well. Mm, fantastic. 
So, okay. Um, have I skipped a slide? No, I don't think so. Um, feedback to HR departments. I think you've touched on this, but um, uh, I think that's the trend reporting or is, is there a little bit more information that HR can receive? Well, it's definitely the trend reporting. And as I said, on a monthly basis with our clients, we go through the calls, um, it, obviously not the calls, but the, you know, what's happened in that month, what we've seen. One of the things that we've definitely found is that, you know, it's one of those services that you don't need until you need it. So um, we spent a lot of time with clients um, with what we call activation. So keeping it top of mind for individuals. So, you know, at the moment we're doing a bit of an activation around New Year's resolutions. Was there a was there a relationship you were having trouble with in 2023? Don't, you know, don't sit on it in 2024. Get some proactive advice early and, and address it. So that's probably a good example of one of the activations that we do. We also do things around performance management time um, for organisations, you know, um, whether it's a manager preparing for their performance reviews or whether it's an employee preparing for their performance review and thinking about how they want to frame up their, their feedback. So the sorts of issues that we deal with are quite varied um, across the across the spectrum. Um, I, I look, I think the other thing is um, for a number of the organisations we work with, we've become part of their uh, proactive response to the respective work changes. So, um, I, I mean, again, when you sort of look back to the original report there, it talked about giving people a safe place and to be able to control the sort of, um, you know, the next steps around things like sexual harassment. And again, this is where I see us, you know, providing that extra service to, to HR departments. You know, again, if I put my old hat back on, if somebody came and said to me, look, Jim's been touching me in the photocopier room, I'd have no choice but to deal with it. Right? I can't sit in front of the board in six months' time and say, oh, yeah, I sort of knew about that, but I just kind of let it go. Mm. Whereas what people can do with OnPoint is come to us and say, look, Jim's touching me. Um, what are my options? And we can work through all of those options with them. And then it's up to the individual as to how they want to take it forward. Now, clearly in really serious cases, we will say, your organisation is going to take that really seriously. Here's how you should escalate it. That's, you know, that's unacceptable, et cetera, in terms of, of, of what's going on. But in a lot of cases, it's really those, I shouldn't say low level because it should, it should be zero level, but, you know, those cases where people go, I don't want to actually formalise this, but I just want it to stop. And that's where, again, we can help them with some of those informal options that perhaps don't get to be on the table quite so often when you're actually mitigating the risk for the organisation as a, as a people and culture professional. So um, that's, again, one of the areas that we've been really um, focused on and supporting organisations with is, is their sort of proactive response to, to the respective work changes. That's a really good point, actually. I mean, it would, it would help discharge the... Um vicarious li liability um, responsibility that uh, employers have if you had something like this in place, amongst other things, part of the positive um, duty to prevent sexual harassment and discrimination at work. Um, I think it would also be really helpful to get to the bottom of these complaints and inquiries that we see come up in adverse action cases where plaintiff lawyers will say the person's made 150 complaints about something in the workplace over the past two years and really there's no record of it um, and there's no real evidence that those complaints have been made. Um, and maybe as a precursor to investigations, which we do a lot of as well in the workplace where issues 
simmer and then explode and then there's no choice but to bring in an independent investigator. So it may assist in sort of calibrating um, some of those things. But now, it's also, as I said before, Paul, you know, um, people generally don't go through these things multiple times in their career. So they often just don't know what the next steps are going to be. So just even being prepared to go, okay, well, I am going to put in a formal complaint about that. I now know that my organisation will go through these steps. This is what I'm likely to be asked about. This is what's going to happen. Actually, yes, the person is going to be informed about the allegations. You know, just being able to be informed and aware of that actually makes them feel more powerful in the process rather than the process overtaking them. Yeah, absolutely. Now, a important question for for my purposes, for, for, for the lawyers that... Um, as a last resort, have to defend litigation where these complaints and disputes are not resolved. Maybe the person is um, dismissed lawfully or otherwise, and um, litigation becomes relevant. Um, how can you can you tell me what evidence can be subpoenaed, for example, from the service, or can advisors be compelled? to give evidence about what was um, said to them or advice that was given. I see this is an interesting overlap with a obviously much more adversarial process. Yes. Hopefully it doesn't happen very often. I'm just touching wood at the moment. <laughs> so, so yeah, we, ha we haven't had that. Um, look, a couple of things. When we, when we deal with individuals, we're very explicit. Right up front at the beginning of the call, we say, you know, this is confidential and none of this will be taken back to your organisation. So to your point, Paul, around people saying, oh, I raised this with OnPoint 17 times and nothing got done, we're really explicit about that um, up front. The second thing is that, look, if you wanted to subpoena our records, you know, we, we could be subpoenaed, right? We're not doctors, so, you know, you can get the, re the records. The reality, however, is that the the, the notes that the advisors take are very scant. They're, they're enough detail so that if the individual came back again, we don't have to start say, Paul, tell us his story again and tell us what happened, right? So it's it's quite um, it's quite small detail, but just enough so that we kind of go, oh, that's right, Paul was calling about his work from home issue and, you know, um, et cetera. It's also not, as I say, definitive in terms of saying, oh, it was a bullying issue. Um, you know, he called about alleged bullying. He's, you know, that sort of stuff. So that it's it, it's very much like we're hearing one side of the story. So um, we can do that. But most of our notes are actually focused on what we suggest the actions are. Because ultimately, if we come back for a second call or a third call or even beyond that, what we're really going to be focusing on is, okay, so did you try the X, Y and Z that we said to you? Um, and so that's where our notes really focus. So... Whilst obviously we can't sort of opt out of um, being subpoenaed, I suspect that both, you know, the employer and the employee, if they, they subpoenaed their notes, would be pretty disappointed in terms of the, um, the, the content of them in terms of helping their, their, their case because that's not really where we're, we're coming from. We're really around what are the practical skills you can take to actually address this issue. Mm, yeah, got it. Okay, so we have um, reached our time. I might just take one question here, though, before you go, uh, Lyndall, and that is, how does the Ombuds model differ to conflict coaching? Yeah, look, so 
we use some of the same principles around as at conflict coaching, but you know, often um, even things like mediation and so forth tend to end up being, you know, it almost escalates in in a sense. You know, I've I've had it in the past where people are like, well, we need a mediator. So you've gone beyond the two people being able to actually just have a have a conversation. And ultimately, in my mind, that's really the skill set that you're looking for. So you know, I think you know, conflict coaching. Um, in the sense of the the skills that you use are very similar to what our advisors use, but um, where it then ends up looking more like a mediation and so forth, you, you've already taken it up the the sort of escalation path there um, to some degree. Now, obviously, mediation can help de-escalate it, as can you know potentially litigation, etc. But you know, in my mind, it's really about trying to get in before we get to those those points and have people um, you know act like adults and resolve issues at, at the lo- the lowest level that you can mm, for sure that question yeah. yes well as we're seeing more and more complaints and people are more familiar with um, their rights in the workplace we have new laws for workplace delegates who are union members to raise more disputes and um, uh, with union members and non-members, um, services like this are just another plank in the HR suite of solutions that will be important to uh, avoid um, matters ending up on my lap, really, being usually the last um, solution in the, in, in, in the process, which is um, mediation or conciliation or, or, or litigation. So, Lyndall, if uh, and I should have said at the start that Dentons has no uh, affiliation with um, the Ombud service, and um, we don't uh, we're not getting any bonuses for people that that might use your service. We just think it's uh, a, a really useful um, component in the broader HR suite of solutions. So, wanted to share it with our listeners. If um, uh, employers want to contact you, Lyndall, about this. Um, they can do that on the details on the slide? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear from, from people. And, and even if you've just got a, an interest in learning more about it or, or you know, um, speaking about some of the, the challenges you might be facing and whether it's right, as, as you rightly said, Paul, you know, it's not a panacea for everything, um, but it is, it, it is a plank in, um, in your broader suite of solutions to try and address these things in an early way. And, you know, I'm certainly not trying to make any employment lawyers redundant, um, but I think it's, you know, I think it's for our, all of our benefit if if we can resolve these things and get people to get back to work and being productive rather than having that underlying, um, those underlying issues there or, you know, simmering away for years to come. Absolutely. Well, Lyndall West, thanks so much for joining us uh, today on our first um our first webinar for the year and um, it's been great to listen to your insights please do contact Lyndall if uh, if you want more information uh, to listen to our other uh, past webinars you can do so on Apple podcast and um, Spotify and we've got another one coming up at the end of February uh, on background checks for employees. For those of you who have accidentally employed somebody that you shouldn't have, um, and perhaps the person's not been honest with their, their background, how can you do pre-employment checks lawfully, obviously, on people? And how do you dismiss someone once you find out that perhaps they have a past history that doesn't sit with the organization's values? So we look forward to um, 
pairing up with uh, RSM Forensic Accountants for that one next month. Uh, thanks a lot, everybody, and uh, have a great week.